So nice to see each one of you. It's been a long time since we've been here, and we're thankful that uh, we had the opportunity uh, to come today, and especially a blessing to be able to share uh, the word together. And uh, let's bow our hearts and heads in prayer. <clears throat> Father, it's, we're grateful that we can gather to, together uh, in this day, the first day of the week, as we can focus our attention on your word, your living word. We pray that you would um, make it alive in our own hearts, in our minds, Lord, that you would help remove the distractions that so easily uh, cause our minds to wander. And uh, Father, the worries of yesterday or the cares of today or the worries of the future could be set aside for this time and that we receive a blessing from your word and from the fellowship that we share together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's been a relatively new term that has surfaced on social media in the last number of years, and just as a pretext, as an introduction to our text, I want to set the context or the stage for this. This new term um, that's come up is called exvangelical, and that is a term that people now have uh, assigned to those that very publicly renounce their faith, typically on social media. There are someone who is usually pretty popular uh, in some form, in some ministry, for multiple reasons, each one being different, will renounce their faith and move into a secular life. Now, this is not a, uh, a new phenomenon, and, and um, of course, that word ex-evangelical is a play on words because they used to be evangelical Christians, and now they become ex-evangelicals. Now this is a, as I've read about some of these circumstances, people that authors and others, notable people that have done this, it caused me to question is, how does something like that happen? And of course, that's a complex question. And, and as I looked in the scripture, you realize that it's not a new phenomenon. This uh, people struggling in their faith and eventually abandoning their journey of faith is something that the scripture does have a lot to say about. And in the scripture that I'd like to meditate with you this morning, I'd encourage you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter. Gospel of John, the sixth chapter. We'll go through a circumstance in the life of Jesus where that same thing happened, where there was a group of disciples that uh, left him. And the Apostle John records this circumstance for our benefit, and we'll, re- we'll be able to understand why, what happened, the what, why, and the how. The what happened, the why it happened, and then how to protect our life of faith from that happening. So please turn with me, John chapter 6, we'll begin our reading at verse 60. It's a long chapter, we unfortunately don't have time to go through it all, but we'll, we'll begin our reading at verse 60. Scripture says, many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is an hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, does this offend you? What? And if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before, it is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh. It is the spirit that quickeneth or makes alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. 
From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. In other words, they abandoned him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve disciples, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. I'd like to conclude here at verse 69, and may God bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Let's bow down and worship the Lord together. Almighty God, we come into your awesome presence. Well, when we consider how great thou art, the power speaking this vast universe into being and with just a word in all its complexity and design and that we are, we are barely after thousands of years beginning to scratch the surface of understanding how well and intricate and perfect everything has been planned. And Lord, you even saw our fallen hearts, how we would turn and rebel and reject your leadership, your authority, and, and choose our own self-destructive ways. Father, that you sent your son to take the price, the penalty, the, the pain upon himself to give us an opportunity that even this morning we can come into your holy presence. Lord, we cannot thank you enough for not only your power, but your love, your commitment, your sacrifice. Father, thank you for committing to, to be in our presence, even this morning where we have gathered even more than two or three, and that your word can be be not only heard with the ear, but it would penetrate our hearts and it would expose our very intentions and motivations and transform us and bring that life. Father, we pray that we would not be as those who would just chase the filling of our bellies, the, the satisfying of our superficial needs, and desires, but Lord, that we can say with Peter that we have nowhere else to go. Nowhere else can we find the needs of our soul, the need for eternal life that would extend and give meaning beyond a mere animal existence to, to know that we have we can be in your presence forevermore and not be rejected, that we can have meaning and purpose here and now. We can have a life that doesn't wait for death, but even now is enriched with a living relationship with a very real loving God. Father, we just pray for that truth to, to penetrate our dull, distracted, and tired and overwhelmed consciousness and, and, and to change us. 
Father, you know the, the needs that are around us. Father, we, we see and we're, we're so thankful for Sister Olga who can be back in our midst. We just pray that you would be able to give her not only the grace and the strength to endure, but even healing from the very blood cells out, Lord, that you would provide a relief and a strengthening for her. Father, we pray for many who could not be here because of old age and, and sickness, and Lord, you know them, the, their circumstances. We pray for an encouragement and a strengthening for each one of them. And Lord, you know those that we love very much who are choosing not to be here because they are listening to other voices. Father, we pray that they would recognize the truth and see through the, the falseness of those uh, distractions. Father, we do pray for your presence and your spirit to be unhindered this morning in our hearts and for your name to be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus was giving them, the followers, as he was there in the synagogue, some hard sayings, difficult things that they couldn't fully understand. And now, of course, we have the ability to see things in hindsight and see the bigger picture. It's kind of like seeing a puzzle all put together, and we get to see the full, what the picture actually looks like, as opposed to they were just seeing certain of the puzzle pieces, and they were having trouble putting them all together. And so <clears throat> we see that uh, earlier in the chapter, I think verse 51 sums it up well, where he says, Jesus is speaking, says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give him is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And <clears throat> as Jesus was describing to them that he is the bread of life, not has it, not that, that he, in a sense, didn't just bring them the message, but he was the message. In fact, in the first chapter of John, we read that he was the word, the very word of God himself. And we need to feed on him or feed on his word and accept that message. Now, he started off the, the chapter in chapter 6. You'll see that there was a miracle of feeding the 5,000. That's how he began ministering to the followers at the time. They're all hungry, and he was able to perform a, a tremendous miracle of providing them both fresh fish and fresh uh, bread that they consumed. And they were so excited about this miracle that they wanted to forcibly come to make him king. Why not? Such a great king that not just comes and taxes you, but actually comes and gives you free things without you having to work for it. Who wouldn't want a king like that? And so they became super excited based on this experience and this miracle. And so they started following him and, and wanting to know more and more. And then they started hearing some of these hard sayings that they couldn't fully comprehend. And it kind of soured 
It soured that they weren't quite so excited anymore because they weren't just going to get free things. Their faith had to be a lot deeper than that just initial experience. And in fact, some of the words that he spake were, were to some degree offensive to them. And so it culminated in what we read together in verse 66, that they walked away. They walked away from the, the very essence of God himself, as Hebrews 1 describes of Jesus. Imagine what they gave up because they couldn't fully comprehend that in the moment. And I'd like to spend a little bit of time to understand how could this happen if it happened to those disciples back then, it happens in our day and age today. It's beneficial for us to spend a little bit of time to understand how can these things be? How does this come about? The first thing I, I, I see in this entire chapter of John chapter 6 is that these disciples base their faith on circumstance. What I mean by that is we see how excited they get, and I encourage you to read on your own time uh, earlier in chapter 6, and you'll see how they became excited about Jesus' miracle. And that's what pricked them and started them on their journey of faith, started them to follow after Jesus. The experience was real. It was exciting, and you would, would have loved to be there. I think all of us would have loved to be there to see something that momentous happen. And yet, that experience was meant to start their journey of faith, but not sustain it. Because there is a significant difference between the experiences that start our journey of faith versus those experiences or things that we need to sustain our experience of faith, our life of faith. And let me illustrate with a simple example. Those of you that are married will know that there was likely an experience, something that sparked your relationship with your spouse. Some experience that was exciting, was um, essentially started you down the path and eventually culminated in your marriage relationship and... <clears throat> As you think back to that, you know that that experience that started it, though it was real, though it was momentous, though it was exciting, is not something that can sustain a life of marriage from the pressures and the experiences that we make. This is not something novel or new. You have researchers that have studied this and, and know that, that that experience, we'll call it the honeymoon phase of a relationship, only lasts a certain amount of time. And too many people in the world expect that that honeymoon phase will last their entire marriage. And when that honeymoon phase kind of fades away, they're like, well, uh, something doesn't seem right here. Maybe I need to go find someone else and try to sustain that kind of euphoria. And that's never, that is not how God designed relationships. He designed it, yes, for that to perhaps start that very important relationship. But to sustain it, it requires a far deeper level of experience and sustaining and investment into that relationship. And those that don't understand that eventually will find themselves on a path to shipwreck on the path to divorce and, 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 and move on to another relationship, and then that won't work out, and etc. That can continue on until they discover that 
That's the wrong paradigm. And this is the paradigm that the disciples were confused about as well. They were excited to start their relationship of faith. And then when some headwinds, when they were starting to experience some headwinds, then it faded. And many of them faded with it because it could not sustain their life of faith. And, and I think probably many of us, or all of us, to some degree, have experienced that in our life of faith as well, where we've made some experience as we've gone through life. Some of you have gone to perhaps Eastern camp and experienced a, a certain um, awakening, as it were, to your spiritual need for Christ and a desire to follow him. And we're passionate and excited about that. Or maybe it's through a youth retreat or maybe it's some experience that someone had. Or as you're just reading the scripture and there's just things that leap off the page and seem so relevant to your personal circumstance in life. Or maybe it's a time of hardship where we've come to the end of our rope, as it were. We don't seem to have any way to continue on. And we feel we can't do it on our own. We don't have the strength to do it. And we cry out to God. And there's a meaningful response as he responds in a myriad of different ways. And all of those are designed to help us start our life of faith. But it needs to be grounded in more than just an experience. See, over and over in the life of Jesus' ministry, we'll read so many times where the, where the followers were saying, and even the Pharisees were saying, uh, show us a sign, show us a sign. And they're constantly looking for more and more experiences and more signs because they were struggling with doubt. But Jesus had already shown them many signs Many, many signs. And they continue to look for, as it were, handouts. And we know in our own life here, for those that are just constantly forever seeking handouts and new experiences without having any sort of investment on, in, 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 in participating in it, we know that those relationships can't last. It needs to be something more than just a receive, 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 a getting but there needs to be also a giving and a level of commitment and investment in order to sustain something for the long run. Because once the signs stop, once the miracles and the experiences don't materialize in the way that they're expecting, they will walk away, just like these disciples walked away. See, this... um, faith based on circumstance. I'll use that term circumstantial faith. It's the kind of faith that um, works well if my experience in life is good, if things are going well and I'm excited, I'm progressing in life, things are coming together and uh, I feel God's blessings on my life because my career is going well, my health is good, my, my just all things in life are just coming together nicely and it's easy to be excited when those things happen. But it runs into difficulty when suddenly life may take a turn, a left turn that we didn't expect, when things are not exactly turning out the way we expect, and, 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 and we sort of have this notion of, well, if I've given, then I should get. If I've invested, then I should get a return. And we've done that. We've done our prayers. We've, uh, we've, uh, we've given, you know, 
to the poor, for example, or we've invested in certain ways, and we, we've been kind to our neighbors, and, and, and we've done these things, and, and yet our circumstance of life isn't exactly changing, certainly not, either not changing at all as far as we can tell in the moment, or perhaps even getting worse, or at best is stagnated, and we don't see a way out. And this is when our faith becomes tested. We can look at the words of Jesus when he says in Luke chapter 8, when he describes a time like that, when he says in Luke chapter 8, we can read from the um, the 13th verse, he's describing now as one of his many teaching uh, moments where he describes several different reactions to the circumstances in life and the risk when our faith is based solely on circumstance. So he's talking about the the sower and the seed. Many of you will recognize that. And if we look in verse 13, he's talking about a particular type of soil that the seed, which is the word of God, falls on. He says, those They on the rock are they, so this is the seed that falls on the rock, rocky soil, which when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. So we can understand that from a seed perspective. If you put seed in a rocky soil, it doesn't have that much uh, uh, ability to grow its roots. And so in the time of of, of hot sunshine or, or inclement weather, it will not be able to survive very well. Oftentimes we'll die. And Jesus is comparing this to our life is that if the word of God falls into our life and we receive it with joy, in other words, it starts our life of faith And it starts to grow. But then there's a time, it says, in time of temptation, fall away when things start becoming difficult and challenging. And if we find that our our faith is shrinking rather than growing in that hardship, it's probably because the, the seed has not gone deep enough. The soil of our heart has not germinated enough for that seed to grow and to flourish, even in times of difficulty. But then Jesus doesn't just stop with that word when it says, in time of temptation, fall away. He gives another example. It says, and they, that's the, that, the seed which fell among thorns, are they which when they have heard it, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. This is another type of experience where perhaps it's not because of hardship, but because it says pleasures of this life. Now, in an affluent society like we are, a first world country as we would be known as, the pursuit of pleasure takes an inordinate amount of time and resources. And what Jesus is describing is the risk where we become pleasure seekers instead of truth seekers. Now, it's natural, of course, in this time and age and and our desire to seek after those things. And God is a God that is, um, he is the creator 
of pleasure. He is the creator of, of these good things that we can enjoy in life. When they are done in a temperate manner, when they are done in a way that um, accents our life rather than leads our life. So <clears throat> inevitably, there's going to come a time when there's going to be a clash between our times of seeking pleasure versus living true to our belief system. And let me give you a few examples of that. See, a number of months ago, um, we had a young brother share an experience in our church where he ran into this himself. Instead of pleasure, in his case, it was the cares of this life. You see, God had given him a um, certain gift to be smart, and he went off to university, and he studied hard, he did well, but he focused so much of his attention on his studies that he began to neglect coming to our church, neglect youth group, neglect being with his friends, and became so in, in, in embroiled into his pursuit after a career that he almost, he, he drifted away and became at great risk of becoming an ex-evangelical. And it was through a set of experiences that God revealed to him that he was on the wrong path. He had been making the wrong priority calls. Rather than setting time aside for that time to pursue a career, which of course is necessary and, 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 and good and right and what God designed for work in general, but he allowed it to crowd out his life of faith and where he had no more time to come to worship with us on a Sunday or come during midweek or come on a, on, a, on a Saturday to be with the youth because he had prioritized the wrong thing. And thank God, in his grace and his mercy, he woke up to that reality and realized that he was heading on a path that would have ended in shipwreck. And God was merciful to him and awakened him. And now he is fully committed, a completely different uh, person, fully committed in growing his life of faith. Now, ironically, his career has not suffered. Yes, he put more limits on it. He's not working seven days a week anymore. And his, yet, he's still doing well. And I believe many have, have experienced that blessing as well, is when we put limits on our life, whether it's the pursuit and the cares and the necessary things that we want to do, but we put first things first, that God will honor and bless that. That's the cares of this life. Another example of perhaps seeking the pleasures of this life is, is we, we, we live in a society where we... Um, Sports is a major thing, and most of us are in a sedentary lifestyle where we probably don't get enough exercise, and so I'm certainly not opposed to especially younger uh, people uh, participating in those activities, but there becomes a limit when it starts encroaching on our belief system where we no longer have time to gather together with God's people and to worship together with him, but instead the, the, the pursuit of that pleasure starts to dominate and we can no longer invest in the same way in our life of faith because eventually what happens is when these two things come in conflict, when our things that we believe and our life of, of seeking pleasure or the cares of this life, it's going to go one or two ways. 
And we have to decide which way is going to win. See, God designed belief to form our lifestyle rather than our lifestyle to form our beliefs. And that doesn't just happen by accident. This is something that we need to form in our own minds that we, that our beliefs and our life of faith is more important than these other aspects in life and that we will invest in it and we will feed, as Jesus says in this chapter, feed on his word and that will allow us to grow and mature. That's why as parents, uh, I find it really important that we show to our children that our belief system, our life of faith is more important. At times, we will have to make decisions that demonstrate that belief is more important than seeking after pleasure or seeking after the cares of this life. So this is what I would say perhaps we could summarize as the first danger to our life of faith, and that is when our faith is based on our circumstance, when we allow our circumstance to dictate our beliefs rather than the other way around. But there's also a second thing here that Jesus describes that puts our life of faith at risk, and that is uh, verse 60 that we read together, where they, they are responding to him, this is a hard saying, who can hear it. A hard saying. Another way to say that is what Jesus' teaching didn't fully make sense to them at the time. Sometimes it's as simple as just not being able to add up all the, you know, connect all the dots together to really understand the full picture that Jesus was describing. But other times, it can be downright offensive or difficult for us to accept. You see, <clears throat> probably you've made a similar experience that I've made, that I've spoken to many people over decades of hard sayings that they struggled with that the scripture describes. For some, it's the concept of forgiveness, being able to um, Understand that forgiveness has a cost, that Jesus had to pay the cost for our forgiveness. The concept of original sin, that, that we have, uh, we've been born into a lifestyle of sin and that we need to be rescued from that. Some stumble at that thinking, no, I'm, I'm generally a good person. And as we walk through their goodness, which is true for everyone, we discover that all of us have broken all Ten Commandments if we're really truly honest. And often as I've had these conversations and, and I'm just as guilty as they are in the sense of having broken all of those Ten Commandments and as we walk through each one of them, they begin to recognize that, yeah, I guess if you look at it from that perspective, I'm not that good after all. And all of us are in that circumstance. All of us need to be saved from that and, and some stumble from that hard saying to recognize that I'm actually not as good as I think I am. Or some struggle with the judgment of God. It seems so unfair that God would judge someone. And there's consequences to that judgment. They prefer the God of grace and mercy and forgiveness. They love that kind of God, but not the God of justice and judgment. That's generally what we find here in our North American Western culture. Many people struggle with that. 
But I've also had conversation when those where I've had the privilege on a business trip to be in Israel. A different kind of perspective when I was talking with an Arab there and he had the exact opposite perspective. He was totally fine with the God of judgment and justice and where we have to pay for the things that we have done, but he was totally <clears throat> offended by the concept of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And ultimately, no matter what culture, what background we come from, there's going to be a set of hard sayings, things that we stumble on, that we struggle with, that we can't fully comprehend in our minds. For some, it might be even just the aspect of forgiving someone else, even as God has forgiven us to extend that forgiveness to someone else, and we struggle with that. And we withdraw ourselves and, and close up and, 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 in a sense, hide away from that because it's too difficult. And yet God has never given any of these hard sayings to make us stumble. The fact is, is God is an infinite God and his truth is all-encompassing and we are finite. And there will, we, we will only fully, not even fully, partially understand some aspect of God's truth. And we grow and we mature in our faith and we come across and we come face to face with our prejudices, with our limitations, with our um, preconceived notions. And really, that is the mercy of God on display. That he is merciful enough that he will surface those things in our lives where we need to grow. That we need some of these hard sayings. That we struggle with those. And we can come to grips This gives us insight into another truth that if we use our current knowledge and wisdom and understanding and experience, that we are poor judges of what is good for us in the moment. This is most obvious when, I think it was Brother Edmund mentioned in the announcements about you know, school, that so many of our children, including myself when I was growing up, I didn't like to go to school. I thought this is bad for me. This is a waste of time. And yet, this was expected that I go to school. And probably some of you <clears throat> have made that same experience. And in the moment, it looked like it was a waste of time. And yet, in hindsight, you now see the value of the learning that took place there. That's because a child in the moment doesn't fully understand the weight or the benefit that something like that has on one's life. But that limited foresight still plagues us as human beings, even when we become adults. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we have made experience as an adult where at the time we thought it was a terrible thing that we were going through, and then Years later, we look back and we see how, in fact, it was actually a very good time, a time of growth, a time of maturing, a time of things that, that God allowed us to go through that was very beneficial for us at the time. Or the reverse, where we think, this is a great experience we're going through right now, it's wonderful, and then later on we look back and we realize it wasn't that great after all because of some of the consequences or some of the fallout that came from that. We know that 
just as a simple example, so many people crave to win the lottery. They want to make a lot of money. And yet, time and time again, the evidence shows how bad it is for a person to win the lottery. The scripture is true when it says those that seek after riches pierce themselves through with many sorrows. And so many of them make shipwreck in their own life, destroy their marriages, destroy their family relationships, their friendship, even their health. And eventually, there's so many of those stories where they eventually become bankrupt, even after winning millions of dollars. And in hindsight, they look back and say, I wish that never had happened to me. It destroyed my life. Something that I thought would be so great was so terrible. And there are many of those kinds of experiences that we make that should give us pause in the sense that at times when we may feel that we're struggling with a particular saying in the scripture or a particular circumstance in life that we'd be not so quick to jump to a conclusion that God is wrong or that God is abandoning us or that God is unkind or his truth seems to be contradictory because at the moment, we, may, we will not have all of the answers to life But thankfully, many of those answers can be found. I remember as a young man struggling in my life of faith. As I became a Christian when I was 16 years old, and when I was 17, there was a a, a teacher assistant that came to our school, and he was an atheist. And we had long conversations at lunchtime, and I struggled with a lot of the things that he brought up because I had never really thought about some of the questions that that, that he was bringing up. And of course, in my young mind, this was all new to me as I was challenged in my faith. And I struggled with some of those hard sayings to try to make sense of it all, and it caused me to dig deep and caused me to ask other Christians. I realized not all Christians have those answers either. And yet, in God's mercy, he did provide apologetic material and for me to understand why is Christ the only way to God, for example, and why is that that, that truth by definition is exclusive and all kinds of concepts allowed me to grow in my faith. And I look back at that time, and though it was a difficult time, with, with um, thankfulness that God used that to allow me to grow in my faith. But if circumstantial faith or, our, or faith in our ability to figure things out leave us vulnerable as it did these disciples from walking away, how do we fix that? How do we address that vulnerability? Because we've talked about the what happened the why it happened, but now the question, the, 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 we want to leave with how do we fortify ourselves against this temptation to walk away? The answer we read is in verse 68 and 69. <clears throat> After all these disciples walked away, disciples meaning followers, not the 12 disciples, but many others, after they walked away, Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, will ye also go away? Are you going to follow that momentum, that, the, the exit momentum? And Simon Peter profoundly states a simple truth. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. 
And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. See, our faith cannot be in experiences, in our circumstances. Our faith needs to be in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And Peter rightly says, well, where are we going to go elsewhere? Yes, we don't necessarily fully understand everything that you're saying, everything that you're doing, but we realize that no other worldview can compete against this because no matter what worldview we adhere to or believe, it also has gaping holes. In fact, craters that are far bigger. Questions that cannot be answered. And so, Jesus, you have the worldview that makes the most sense, though we don't understand it all. But we believe, he says, you, we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. See, when we place our faith in the person of Christ and the grace and the forgiveness and, and those things he offers to us, it liberates us from the, 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 the place of indecision, the no man's land that we're in, that we're kind of stuck It gets us unstuck and helps move us forward. And though we won't have all the answers in life, yes, it doesn't mean our our life is going to be smooth sailing all the way, but it helps us move forward to grow in our faith and our beliefs and our understanding, our true understanding of who Christ is. This is the faith that gives us the sustaining power when it is placed in the person of Christ instead of our circumstances or in our own knowledge. Because once we place our faith in the person of Christ, we experience the transforming power that only he can offer. And so... Perhaps there may be some of you this morning that have started your journey of faith and have grown to some degree in it, but you've stagnated. You haven't been able to make forward progress. And I'd like to encourage you to consider in the quietness in this upcoming week to think perhaps that maybe you're falling into the same trap that the disciples fell in here, that you're waiting for some great circumstance to happen, some great writing in the sky or some near-death experience to spur you on in your faith. But it doesn't, you don't need to wait for that. You can express, even as Peter expressed, in a way to, in simple faith. The scripture says in Romans 10.10, we read that confession is made with the mouth to salvation. In other words, this is not a private faith. This is something we express to someone saying, I desire to believe, I desire to grow in my faith. And then we're mentored and discipled and encouraged to grow in our life of faith. And so I encourage you to reach out to a mature believer. If you have tough questions, it's okay. Ask them. Find them. It says that Jesus gave a promise that those who seek will find, that you will find the answers that you need in order to not only come to saving faith, but to also sustain your faith. We see that Jesus said these words in verse 65. He says, No man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. And so may all of us, 
have the boldness to come to God, to ask him to give us that ability to believe in him and to grow in our life of faith so that we don't have to worry about becoming an ex-evangelical, that we can be secure in, our, the, the, in the foundation, in the person of Christ that will transcend the doubts and the experiences that we make and allow us to grow in our life of faith all the way until we meet Christ one day. Amen. Despite man's ability to come up with new words, what the Bible says that nothing is really new, this challenge of, of making a beginning and not following through is certainly age-old. And um, we've had a, a warning from Scripture, from experience, that it's not he who begins the race, but he who crosses the finish line, who, who really is able to, to claim that, that victory, the reward. And so even though today's social media focus really focuses on the moment, you know, you glorify the person maybe who, who's just won the lottery and, and the fun they're having, but yet when we look at what truly satisfies, what has staying power, I know as a young man, you know, I, I didn't appreciate enough those who maybe didn't have the, the glitz and, the, and the, 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 the superficial talent but yet who had integrity and commitment and a relationship with the Lord, who, who were people you can count on, who had, who, who had that, who were going to be there at the finish line. And so this morning we've had a chance to examine ourselves and, and see what does it take to not only begin a race, but to continue, and it's really the enabling grace, the relationship with the Lord, the connection that it's not on your power but his that you can be sustained. Without that, uh, we may find our, our vehicle out of gas, uh, just like those Russian tanks on, on Ukrainian highways that, that are really ineffective, may have a lot of show but no go. But we need really to be, have the spirit of God in us and that connection to be able to, to endure to the end. With that, we would conclude this morning's service, and we have a special, oh, sorry.